0: i'm aaron armstrong i'm pete moran and i'm and we love to watch
1: aaron can you go again no i do what again (laughs) am i am i and we love to
0: to watch
1: (laughs) we love to watch presents the beverly sons of the soil should
2: have told me that you had a girl how could you forget did you think i wouldn't notice that you get away
0: Hey Peter. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Is that too deep of a uh, I'm uh sorry I couldn't hear you with my rage at uh, what's <laughs> going on right now.
2: Uh hi Marcus, how are you? Hi Pete, hi Aaron. Nice to be back.
1: I hey guess. Peter. It is so nice for you to be back, Marcus, and also for Aaron, you to be here on your regular Let,
0: let's just Let's just, before we even get it, we're, we're, we love to watch a movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast. We're in our third week of Summer Rerun Month, where we're capturing the 90s era of let's remake TV, uh, like 60s and 70s TV shows. As mo- big screen uh, movies. Uh And we're in our third week of that. We're at the nadir of that. Probably also maybe the <laughs> nadir of this podcast. I don't know. This is definitely the worst movie we're covering this oh, month. And you you had,
2: had to we watch this movie, this movie film. and have me on. That's just <laughs> yeah, the worst. <laughs> That's
0: what I meant. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we did 1993's The Beverly Hillbillies, which actually was both a success that made double, double its budget and also one of this, this sort of like from a concept feels like they had run out of ideas. This is one of the early ones. This kind of made way for the rest of the nineties, but we're going to get into all that. I, we need to get into something else. So our guest. Unfortunately, is a man by the name of Marcus Jones. Now, Marcus, I last time we talked on We Love to Watch, you... It was weird. Well, I mean, here's how I remember it, if I'm just being honest. Um, I, at the time, was just trying to call Pete, talk to him, hang out. uh, Because he had canceled recording. Only to find that you were... guest hosting again on night of living dead again uh which is troublesome enough now what i didn't have at the time that i recorded that last time that we have spoke was the context of the first hour of that podcast which i've since heard uh and i gotta say um you had a lot of really negative things to say about me for a straight hour on my own podcast I'm pretty sure that was Ethan. Actually. I think Ethan was really trying to get the vibe and never quite grasped it. But uh, I, there was a lot of uh, this is an intervention for uh, your uh, to to steal you away from your abusive co-host Pete and Aaron's been torturing and gaslighting you. And obviously, we recorded a whole episode of the Night of the Living Dead. I didn't know any of that at the time.
2: Yeah, well, I know I mean, it To now. be fair, I didn't know I that that know was going to be recorded not. and released to where you could listen to it. I thought, you know, we were just having a discussion among friends.
1: Yeah, the truth needed to come out, though. The truth is more important than your feelings,
2: Marcus.
0: The truth that Marcus tried to do, like, a mutiny on the We Love to Watch bounty, or the truth <laughs> that. Uh, you agree with Marcus, because that's going to really, depending on your answer here, uh, Peter, it's going to really change the dynamic of this episode.
2: Wow, it seems like maybe I had a point that whole time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I I don't think uh, it's being an abusive friend to say, if you think I'm an abusive partner, it'll change the dynamic of our subsequent recording
1: yeah i think once i i think that perception uh can be pretty damning um but what's more damning is being an abusive partner
0: <laughs> so it is, let's talk about it. you know what i'm just gonna keep going so uh, to recap everyone there's you know go go google we love to watch marcus jones a lot of hate sites out there that i'm gonna put up between now and this episode <laughs> um and got a couple months man uh you know so here's the thing so we're doing this summer rerun month a peter a Peter joint. Peter Idea, Peter Moran joint. And I, but I was all into it because I saw all these movies. We're, we're in our third week. Um, we knew at least four of them would be good. Y- yeah. F- yeah, four of them are great. Uh, and I was pretty, pretty excited to do that. And then there was one, like, weird one in there. And it was... You know, I want to do Beverly Hills. It's a movie that I saw in theaters when I was 11, and I fucking hated it. And if you hate a movie when you're 11 and desperate to see movies, it's a really bad movie. And then he was like, "And you know, we we gotta have, we gotta have Marcus Jones on because of because uh, G- of Jim Varney. I was kind of like, "Well, under any other non-pandemic year, I would obviously say no to this." But Peter's been through a lot. Maybe you know. After after the, the Ernest podcast just wasn't clicking for Pieter, P- Pieter's... <laughs> we finally revealed that I'm a Russian bot, yeah. <laughs> for Pieter's, uh, um, um, you know, uh, creative energy podcasting and stuff like that. So, I you know, I figured, like, in the back of my head, probably he was like, Hey, Marcus, I know how much you love Jim Varney and specifically the film The Beverly Hillbillies. Someday on We Love to Watch. We'll do it. and You'll come on. But I feel like it was like that dying wish, not of a person, voted, but of a podcast that like Peter was granted, like a make a wish. And I was like, under those circumstances, in the year that we've had, I can't be like, no, we're not going to do that. So, so fine. So I, we, cut, hold, no, hold on. Come on, Eric. Cut, cut
2: cut the shit, dude. You're not, you don't play the good guy Shut here. Up. You <sighs> said yes to that just so you could invite me no. on and trash Jim Varney and hurt
0: my I heart. mean, I, hold on. First of all, you already invited me on a podcast to do that, so yes, I'll be doing it again, but uh, it's now you're in my house. But that's, that's only fair. Like, you invite someone to trash a beloved actor, I invite you to my house to trash a beloved actor. But here's the thing. So I messaged Marcus, being the good friend and supportive partner that I am, and I'm like, Marcus, we're doing Beverly Hillbillies. Hopefully you have something going on, but if not, do you want to come record? Marcus had never heard of this idea, <laughs> had no interest in the film Beverly Hillbillies. Peter, like, set up this whole thing, we and, and, like, we could have just not done it, and Marcus would have been fine with it. So, what I'm trying to say- And none the wiser. <laughs> but none the wiser. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I have two enemies on this show tonight. <laughs> One, the person who, on his own volition, with no consultation of my arch nemesis- <laughs> made us do a terrible movie with a terrible guest uh and marcus who well he knows what he's done yeah i think you kind of covered it in the attack on me does that catch everyone
1: up <laughs> Why yeah you... i think that kind of i think that kind of catches everyone up uh it doesn't i think if this is the first episode you're listening to it's usually less of a um uh some kind of monster the metallica documentary <laughs> Um, it's usually less of that, more of just, you know, talking about movies, uh, just joking, having a good time, occasionally veering into seriousness. Yeah. Um, a lot of
2: backstory on this one.
1: But, you know, this one, we've got history here, and the important thing is that whatever we talk about here will be far more interesting than whatever the movie is.
0: <laughs> I, we, we, we tend to pick good movies for few depths. Um, I think, uh, oh, I think yeah. that's clear. Uh, and I can't say that this is – we introduced the show and did a pretty effective recap of Marcus and mine's relationship. So I imagine this is ten times the introductory episode than, say, like, our Night Living Dead episode, <laughs> which was 50 minutes of Marcus lambasting a co-host that wasn't there. Oh, yeah. If that was your first episode, I'm really sorry
1: uh i wish i wish they had so when you're when you work in like web design or you work in web ads um you you really focus on like bounce rates i want to know exactly how many people uh listened to that random episode and was like hey i'd love to hear about night of the living dead and then got 30 minutes in and was stepping into some sort of therapy session
2: you you think they made it 30 minutes
1: (laughs) (laughs) i like to think whatever wrestling kayfabe we had going on was it was pretty interesting. How dare you say this isn't kayfabe. Uh Oh, yeah. Sorry. Edit out the part where I said kayfabe.
0: Because if you say kayfabe, <laughs> you're ruining kayfabe. Here's the here's the perplexing part. I said Kfed. That was our second most listened to episode of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. So it is. And most of our episodes where Marcus and myself are both on are usually in their highest in their respective years. So there, a couple things could be happening. One. It's the Jones. Hang on. Episode. Hang on. What, what beep? That episode, uh, probably like a movie that people like and is good. Oh, uh-huh, there you go. That that makes um, sense. But I I forget exactly what it was, but it's uh, it it's true. It's it, it was our most listened episode of that summer of horror, where we did nothing but more popular, better movies throughout the rest of the double <laughs> the double month. Um, and one of two things, I assume, is happening. One, people somehow enjoy this. Uh, will you know this? This kind of uh, threes company. Eight triangle, whatever we have going on here. Or there's one fucking pervert that really, really gets off to it and listens to it over and over and over
2: again. We're on audio, but I feel like you're looking at me, Aaron. I mean, I'm I'm
0: definitely looking closer into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> He's staring deeper into the abyss. It may just be because like it's hard to Lend dramatic effect to your voice without having it manifest physically, but it is. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about this movie conceptually, why how it fits into this month, and we we can talk a little bit about Jim Varney. And I'll start out being mean, and then probably get either more or less mean, um, or equally. And also, like I'm going to interrupt.
1: This is not the film to convince anybody that Jim Varney is an unsung comedic voice. Uh, he's. In the movie, as uh, the way that, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain actors are uh, in the play, but they're playing a tree. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so this movie has a lot of sins in its making and how it's formed and everything. I think the biggest one in my eyes, being a big Jim Varney fan, is that it's the first time he's gotten to like be a lead in a movie, like a real lead in a big Hollywood movie that isn't an earnest movie. And he doesn't get to be funny. He's the straight man. There's
1: no lines the written for him. And I watched. So also, you know, to sort of uh, jump ahead, I I watched a couple episodes of the original Beverly Hillbilly show, and as did um, I. And uh, yeah, and, I, and like it's I also cute hate It's it, it's cute in a sort <laughs> of. <laughs> You know, Aaron, I didn't even realize until after it was over that it was an extrapolation of my self hatred. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Of what I the mean, especially if that you watched
0: was- two. I did just watch the one, and I'm like, I think that wasn't like you know, you should try something once, but if you don't like it, don't keep eating it. I imagine after your second one, you you the the sky. Uh got cloudy. The the your yeah, your, your visage turned black one. and white and you're like fucking start looking like Johnny Cash in the hurt music video going uh <laughs> hurt <myself> today. <laughs>
1: uh watch Beverly Hill Um but yeah, I watched two episodes of it and I found it kind of like cutesy corny. It wasn't anything that I was gonna watch more of. Um, but like so many sitcoms from that era just haven't aged well we've talked about that on the show before um but it was at least like it was within the context of uh you know squeaky clean 1950s style sitcoms like sure like there's some there's some good little like jokes there um but like buddy Epson has laugh lines who plays uh you know Jed uh Jedcrapet um <laughs> that Clampett gadget uh, Clampett. how much did you watch uh, if you think his name is Crampin? <laughs> sorry I, I, after we watched the grinch saved christmas this last year it's just been <laughs> dump it to Crumpet. It. it's just stuck in my mind um uh jed Clampett um is uh gets laugh lines you know in these old sitcoms like every 30 seconds so I'm not expecting that cadence for like a movie movie made in the 90s with like a you know more deliberate pace i i am expecting them to throw some bones to jim Varney. he literally has one bit the entire movie and it's that he thinks a woman wants to fuck him
0: peter that's it hold on peter i don't know if you know this the like part of the reason that he had laugh lines in that sitcom is this is true for a lot of sitcoms even today those are laugh tracks (laughs) like they add that like people aren't laughing. Like the Flintstones had that Peter,
1: and there was no. But the laugh track tells me when something's funny, and you know this movie. So this movie could
2: have used. Yeah, that. the
1: movie has no has no laugh track, so I didn't laugh once. But the show has laugh track, so I was laughing. Well, I mean, uh,
2: to be it. fair, this movie is incredibly unfunny. S- essentially, there's,
0: there's, every a, every TV is don't show, every character don't has write, laugh. Lines. They
2: don't write jokes for Jim Barney.
1: Like they don't write jokes for for Jed Clampett. He's the straight man. He's he's not even the he's not even the hair the, the, the like married father who like you know you get to see him he, he, you get to see him like ah geez you're messing up my new mansion oh you're you're, you're messing up my new house yeah you're done. he's like kind of dim like all the rest disposal. of
2: him. But basically, like, he, he does get to be kind of charming. Like, he, he just kind of, Jim Varney as an actor kind of exudes charm. Yeah. So he gets to be charming in some moments. But yeah, nothing funny for him to do, even though he's a very funny actor. He gets a couple of reaction shots. But yeah, he's basically the straight man to all the, the kooks and crazy people around him.
0: They might as well cast of any actor over 50. <laughs> like- I, I, I do take the point that, like... You know, look looking at his filmography, I'm you know, I, I wasn't I am not a big Jim Varney fan and um, as as we've discussed Few are we've discussed before. But like looking at his filmography, it's like, okay, well this this clearly was uh, you know, his biggest role outside of the Ernest movies. As like I went to Letterboxd what really stood out is that outside of animated movies, he clearly was you know, taking into account the Ernest movies and then this movie and then a couple other Alterands, he was never in a good movie. Uh, and I think that is what held him back most of all from being a, a, a more recognized actor is that he never starred in a good movie.
2: Well, yeah, other than the Ernest movies, yeah, his like the best he did, I mean, like, very much, including or,
0: the Ernest movies, though. Is what I'm like. He outside of sh- animation, Aaron, he was never Aaron, an- Aaron.
2: We do not need to get into this, uh, but no, like animation was kind of where you know he he did well, like yeah. His biggest hit, obviously, outside of that was, you know, doing the Toy Story franchise and stuff like that. But and that's something else that kind of bothered me as a Varney fan is that this is the first time he gets to be the star of a big Hollywood movie outside of the Ernest movies. Uh, which obviously aren't really big Hollywood movies, but he doesn't even get like top billing. They decided to go no. alphabetical order in the casting, so he's fucking. I
0: know he's last. I did notice that the Diedrich Bader, who like this is two, this two years away from the Drew Carey show where he's the fourth male lead, uh, has, has top billing. Uh, yeah, he was amazing. just like an improv guy before this. Like, and Diedrich Bader, like, I, while
1: we're talking about that really quickly, I think the cast in this is like. I think the, almost uniformly great.
0: Only, like, the only good part, yeah. the only good part of this movie is that the cast, give or take, well, actually, definitely take a Rob Schneider is <laughs> is uh, is very is is well done and like well done as it relates to not just uh, not just the fact that all the actors are generally like pretty good, but they're they're well suited for their roles and they're well suited for. Um, the characters from the television show they're starting to play. So actually, let's let's go back and do that because let's yeah. talk a little bit about the Beverly Hillbillies because it's actually kind of a little bit fascinating. So I never had seen the show before, and I did have occasional uh, exposure to like Nick at Night style reruns. So there's like a, there's a, there's a lot of shows from this era, and this this show premiered in 1962, ran for nine years, ended in 1971. So, about 100 of the shows are in black and white, and then about 150 of the shows are in color. You know, this is not one I caught. Now, Peter, I I definitely take your point that, like, a lot – you know, sitcoms in general tend to age like milk. And uh, just because comedy, especially, like, situation comedy, changes so much, there are rare exceptions that kind of uh, hold the test of time. But even, like, having seen, like, Bewitched episodes or I Dream of Jeannie episodes or – uh, uh, have you seen
1: the- Adam's fam- original Adams Family episodes?
0: No, I'm gonna. I'm going. To, mm-hmm. I did no. watch those for the episode we were we kicked off the month with, but as of when we're recording this, yes. I have not watched them yet. Yeah, I had never seen this, and I will say, like, again, I did just watch the pilot, which actually the movie, especially the first few minutes, follows very closely with. Uh, and I thought it was terrible, but uh, I also like. <laughs> it wasn't just me like watching this in in 2021 that thought this was terrible this was a show this is kind of like the big bang theory or if not or like the two and a half men of its era it consistently of tv critics at the time got terrible terrible reviews uh that it was lazy unfunny has nothing interesting to say uh you know and this is an era where a lot of sitcoms are being praised for like mary tyler moore show or like all these all these types of things for like changing the format this was kind of the crazy CBS popular sitcom at the time that audiences flocked to and critics fucking hated. And that was consistent throughout its entire run. Uh, The other thing that's really surprising about this, because my goal was to watch a black and white episode and then see where they were in color, you know, seven years down the road. So it's a long, it's a nine year running sitcom produced 268 episodes. And this is hundred percent true and extremely just depressing 16 of the episodes. 16 of the episodes, still to this day, represent um, one of the uh, 100 most watched, like, episodes of <laughs> television of all time. Wow. So
1: It's crazy, especially considering this is a 60-something-year-old show. Yeah. And... Uh, the population has absolutely boomed since then, right? Like, But, yeah, TV has just changed so much and will never be what it was.
0: But then. even even then, I mean, like... will never like be there. One f- but there were shows on at this time, too, when there was no cable and and other networks that, that literally one-fifth of the most-watched television shows of all time, like episodes or like moments of television, are taken up by Beverly Hillbilly's episode, which makes the next part even crazier... You can't watch most of this show, and that is because it was a CBS show that was owned by Paramount. Fox had some rights in it. This is a a movie produced by, by 20th Century Fox, and the rights are a mess. The first two seasons are available on streaming because they've entered the public domain because of all the rights problems.
1: <laughs> I didn't realize oh, that's wow. why
0: I could watch it so easily. It looks like shit on Amazon. Yeah, because it's it's it the there. it's it's it is it's public domain versions. Like I guess Paramount did release cleaned up versions on DVD through season five. But no, there's still debates about the rights issues. Uh, Wikipedia says they're hoping to have it resolved. The release dates for the final few seasons on just DVD, not streaming, is projected in 2026 when some rights revert. When people
2: will really care
0: about it. No, so I'm saying like this is this was a huge show that you can't watch. Like, it's not on CBS All Access or Paramount Plus, like, and, like, it's going to be another five years before apparently the rights revert to someone who has some plans to release it somewhere. So it is, like, it is weird some of these shows, like, that had such a big impact and were produced by major studios, like, are just, like, you can't. You can watch most of it. So, yeah, of those... I
2: don't feel like it lasted for this show, though, because even, like, I did grow up watching a lot of Nick and Knight, and I definitely saw episodes of Beverly Hillbillies and saw bits and pieces, but it wasn't one that I actually enjoyed and... Got into watching and stuff, and no one I've ever known has been a no hillbilly fan. No. It I, seemed I, like it would just be people from that. Like time. I said, it really like, sounds that like it was nostalgic. it was
0: the two and a half men, like a show that yeah uh, that people like it hit some measure of the country right in a sweet spot, but that most people. um I don't, like, I hate making something... I would assume that would be everywhere
2: but the South. (laughs) Everyone just kind of likes to laugh at the South sometimes.
0: Or maybe it was just, like... uh, So, this is something I want to talk about quite a a bit in the movie. Like, I think this movie is something I fucking hate, which is, like, the propagation of, like, the good old boyism that, like, actually, people from rural countries are better than other people. (laughs) Morally, ethically... Maybe it was uh, an affinity for like you look at like Dukes of Hazard, right? Like that was all about like good old boy isn't in Southern Tropes and it wasn't like I I imagine it was not just watched by the West Coasters laughing at the Duke Boys or whatever.
1: Yeah. And like so I I uh I, I, I grew up with a TV in my room basically because um, my brother a rich boy over here. My brother uh, and I shared a TV in my room and then he uh, he and my dad built a bedroom in the basement for him once he got to his teenage years because it was no longer cool to have a brother that was seven years younger than him when he
0: was in his like 15 to 20. I'm assuming uh, they converted an unfinished part of the basement into a room, but I like the idea that they're like we're going to dig right into the foundation so we had some <laughs> private space
1: yeah they dug a masturbation cave into the foundation of the house uh so that the 15 year old uh didn't get walked in on by the eight-year-old uh,
0: hey as long as uh as long as we're you know digging into the foundation to make it a big underground cave i'm gonna make a little like you're like, i'm gonna make a little room yeah. for myself it's gonna be a private area no one's allowed to go in <laughs> also uh, interestingly enough the internet we just got i'm gonna be down there doing a lot of research into who really killed vincent foster
1: <laughs> Every two days, my my mom would uh, roll down some Mister Pib and some Crunchwrap Supremes, and uh, my brother would hiss at the sunlight. Um, but I, uh, but I had this TV left over in my room because of that, um, and uh, I would I had trouble sleeping as a kid. I don't know it was a chicken or the egg, uh, and I would end up watching a lot of TV late at night, and I would watch a lot of TV Land or Nick at Night or whatever it was called at the time. And uh, I caught a lot of these sitcoms and I remember finding like certain ones very charming and certain ones yeah. very, very dull. And this is one that would pop on. I'd be like, you know, I should try going back to sleep. Um, and, and, and I don't know. It, sometimes it was just a difference between is this one in color or not? But I watched uh, I'll talk about this more in the Brady Bunch, but I watched a ton of Brady Bunch. Ta- this way. Uh, yeah, I saw a ton of Brady Bunch. Yeah. And this was like my, and, and I'll talk about it in the Brady. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it on the Brady Bunch episode. Uh, this is also my first exposure to Vincent Price because he's in that weird Hawaii episode. Oh yeah, um, it's like a double oh, yeah. episode dash movie or whatever. Um, uh,
0: yeah, it was a cliffhanger. Like, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I pr- they also show Brady Bunch on like uh, afternoon syndication too. So like, I yeah. I probably mm-hmm. I probably at some point watched every Brady Bunch episode or like a, a you know 75 percent of it. Like I. Um, but I, that's a show that like, again, as a kid in the nineties, I, I enjoyed quite a bit. And even like, we didn't have cable. So when I did get to watch like the Nick at night stuff and watch Bewitched, I was like, I liked Bewitched. I thought it was very funny. Like it's a witch, like a lot of goofy Mm -hmm. circumstances. Like, uh, even if it's not something I would like collect seasons of on television or something, but like, this is just terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. Like the, the big joke from the pilot, Peter, you liked it. So I want I want to hear what I didn't, I didn't I didn't really like it, but I I found it less offensive than
1: the movie. The movie is kind of the a movie's joke more free. Offensive. The movie is just like mm-hmm. a joke-free dirge in that they did this in the '90s without really like without really updating the concept. They just added '90s stereotypes to it, um, and then
2: very lazy, like, vague '90s a, stereotypes, half
1: drawn '90s <laughs> stereotypes like. Um, The son-in-law is played by whoever the sex creep is from Entourage. Sorry, one of the many sex creeps that (laughs) Uh, Entourage has.
0: He is is weirdly both the least sex creep and equally sex creep. Because... They all have sex creep stuff? Because they're all sex creep, but he he plays E.
1: Yeah, in real life... In real life, I believe he has some allegations being a sex creep, so I'll refer to him as a sex creep. What? One of
2: the members of the Pussy Posse has some allegations against him?
0: He's He's appropriating two words that don't all belong to him? (laughs) All in one (laughs) gang name or whatever?
1: God um but he uh but he's just basically he wears like you know uh, a beanie and big baggy pants like as a 90s stereotype and his entire character is edified by um
2: is horny for erica laniac and like yeah. well at least he's not like a hip-hop guy yeah he's not like a really lame hip-hop guy like that's he had the style a little bit with the hats but yeah it's mostly just like I can't talk to a girl.
1: And, like, it's... I'm really glad that we're doing this a little bit after we did, um... Uh, The summer where we did, uh, excuse me, I'm really glad we did this after the month we did Clueless and 10 things about you and she's all that because like those really help illustrate how lazy some of this shit is because like those movies operated in that era. They relied on those stereotypes and then they would subvert those stereotypes because it was fucking funny to subvert 90 stereotypes. The expectations that you have, you know, like, Oh, that guy kind of looks like my brother or my classmate. And then subvert those stereotypes is like how comedy works. Like you do a redirect. (laughs) Um this movie does never this movie never sets up any joke long enough to do a misdirect or to in any way surprise you on an emotional level. Like it doesn't work as a comedy or as like a wholesome little, you know. It's definitely
0: not wholesome. This a, it's a fucking dirty yeah. PG rated movie for like everything. Yeah. But but I actually think like that is the fundamental problem with this movie and i want to circle back to like its production and kind of where it fits in that stuff but as long as we're here the fundamental problem with this movie is movies it's actually like really structurally similar to the movies that we're going to cover next week which are the brady bunch movies like on paper is taking this idea of let's take a 70s sitcom family and move them into the 90s unscathed like we're they they are and and then the the comedy and the contrast is not necessarily coming from the original concept of the show but like that you know that they're moving that that you're seeing the the not just the 70s but like the 70s idyllic family on TV 70s meet the meet the the hard edge grungy 90s and like so on paper that kind of seems like what this movie is setting up so you kind of have like a, a
2: well, Brady Bunch did that great but this does not do well, that this, mo- this movie
0: doesn't I mean Brady Bunch had a point of view like we're gonna the comedy is gonna come from contrasting the the TV shit with like the quote-unquote real world and
2: um, yeah, but this the, the Clampets could just have easily like they're just in the 90s as well they're just you know in this well
0: ex- exactly so they they that's one of the huge problem the other huge problem is that like I imagine that the show was about uh, not just, like, the good old boys have to do with Beverly Hills, which, again, is probably a fish-out-of-water thing that you could have done even within the same time period, although this one very much leans heavily on, like, the 90s-ness of it, Uh, but also the idea of, like, now they have money, how do these people that used to live in a shack are able to, like, engage with wealth, and this movie – has nothing he has like not a a charge or a shot in the barrel around the idea of like how they would interact with not just like an absurd amount of wealth but the type of like opulence and movie star type of wealth displayed in beverly hills instead this movie is like makes them the stupid like they don't or like they're, or like the cone heads or like they don't understand c- civilization there there are parts of this they don't out- understand that they are rich no it's not rich like they it's not so there's there's two things i just want to quickly call out because i do think this is like critical to this whole like why this movie is just a complete fucking nightmare and that's like two of the biggest call outs that they have of experiencing what it's like to be rich is they're all sitting around the dinner t- table at a at a in a normal doorbell rings and no one can figure out where the bells are coming. That's like it's not op it's not like so extravagant opulence that these poor country country folk are like confused by a fucking doorbell everyone knows like i don't care if you lived in a shack in tennessee the idea that you'd be like that's crazy and also the screenwriters are like this is going to show how confused they are by beverly hills and wealth in the 90s but oh, but they, they, they have enough of that, that they in, in the movie fallout shelter like blast from the past, yeah I, well that's right? what i said like coneheads yeah. or something and then the next thing they do to kind of show how fucking like how confused they are by rich people is they show something that we do recognizes opulence, which is someone being able to have a bowling alley in their house, which again, could be mined for comedy, except they decide that fucking Jethro's never heard of bowling. Like, I can't think of something that's more like less, like like more
2: country. Yeah, it's, like and work,
1: less. It's, it's like a working class symbol. Like that it's, was that yeah. was like a that was like a it's like a Simpsons and Roseanne thing. Like the like da, Dad always wants to go bowl with his friends. Also, it's an excuse to get drunk with your friends. But yeah. Dad always wants to bowl with his friends because it was like a working class equivalent to golfing. So
0: their first two things to show how like confused this family are about wealth and Beverly Hills is the concept of bowling and a doorbell like. Well, they have ones that make sense, like the cell
2: phone. Like, okay, maybe they don't know what cell phones are. Like, that makes sense. But yeah, a doorbell is. Or like
0: a concept of a limo. They're not like surprised they get to go in it. They're like bowing their heads because they're like just paying respect to the funeral. It's like I'm sure like you've heard of the concept of a a larger.
1: That was one of the jokes that made me laugh is all of them doing it at once.
2: (laughs) Like, okay, I I get your, I get your comment. I will say there were a few laughs in this movie, but just not There's like three,
1: three laughs I wrote. I had, I wrote them down. That's that's it. I was like, oh well, I
0: perked up for a second. I guess like there was there was a point. Like it's, it, I, I want to get into more of like why why this movie just represents like the nadir of like studio comedies that exist in the '90s and all the things that they do around it, like that gives it no identity. But like I was, I, t- I messaged both of you because I was literally like, I'm I'm literally sitting here uh, angry <laughs> that they thought the best way to show how confused they would be by Beverly Hills, California, and wealth is that their house now has a doorbell. And I was just like, this is the fucking dumbest thing I've ever I've ever seen. And I think that's really where it gets wrong. And it is I, to circle back really to like the making of this movie, this this movie's so bad and so out of ideas that it feels like it must have come near the end of like, you know, back when. by the time they're doing like fucking Wild Wild West and Mod Squad. Like these things that like for a while killed this idea of doing these TV remakes in the late 90s when they'd exhausted everything. This is essentially one of the first. I went and looked at every adaptation, or like remake, not like... Them. Well, but like Adam's
2: Family was before this, though, so maybe this is kind of like, oh, that worked, maybe we'll... Yeah, this really is, here.
0: but that's what I mean. Yeah. So Adam's Family is the first... So the, the first one that actually does this is Dragnet in 1987. Um, mm, and Dragnet yeah. 1987 is doing the Brady Bunch thing. Uh, if you ever seen it, it's, it's pretty good actually. It's it's the I, I liked uh, it. Yeah. As, I liked it as a kid. I remember it being yeah.
1: actually pretty funny.
0: But it's again, it's not. Let's remake the material. Let's poke fun. Let's take the, let's take specifically Tom Hanks. You know Joe Friday's character and see what it's like him doing the same shit in California in 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 uh, the 80s, right? And that so that's that's the first time they ever do that. Give or take this weird car 54, where are you? But the movie like made like $300,000 at the box office. But anyways, uh, so they do that. And then 91 is Adam's family. And then the next two, which came out the same year in 1993, is this and The Fugitive. And then they start doing a ton. Then you have Flintstones in 94, Brady Bunch in 94. Like then it really starts to kind of – you start having a lot more of these this was if you if you take dragnet as like this weird uh artifact that eventually gains traction post Adam's family right because Adam's family is kind of the big hit that they start doing this this is in the first three this movie like and surprisingly didn't kill the trend didn't kill the, it it was successful. I mean, I guess it made enough money. Yeah, it doubled its budget. Budget was twenty four million. It made fifty three million. Yeah, but that it's like super...
1: that, that kind of leads forward, which is like, okay, even this piece of shit made money. Like, well, exactly. the the, yeah. the, the, the rights holders here and the studio heads that were like, you know, uh, this is this is this is a situation where studio heads in their forties, fifties, sixties were like, oh, I remember that show. I liked that show growing up. Like, they're trying to recreate their own nostalgia in a way that would happen um a a decade to a decade and a half later with like them just out of the nowhere being like we're making smurfs movies or we're making um what was uh what was the what was, the, what was the, the, the the um or you know they they kept making scooby-doo movies in the 2000 and alvin and the
2: chipmunks yeah. and stuff like that
1: yeah alvin and the chipmunks and what's the um the one that was most the most obscure was about uh the, the time traveling dog and the scientist mr Peeber or whatever the fuck his name is peabody and sherman Peabody and Sherman. That one felt they like a seven-year-old.
0: Yeah, but that was like 2013. That's like but, that's really jumpy. That's like blue sky but, animation shit. But
1: I I think that was like a 70-year-old and uh, a 70-year-old producer was like that show was just top dog. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I, I mean, in some ways, they they're doing that with like stuff for a while. I was excited about like let's go meet Transformers. So I mean, it it tracks right. Like the timeline is so funny. I I texted this to you about like if a fun fact that'll ruin your day is like. The last episode of this aired in uh nineteen seventy one and this movie came out or sorry, nineteen seventy two and this movie came out in nineteen ninety three. So there's twenty-one years removed between the last episode of Beverly Hillbillies and when enough time had passed to to let's let's do a fun remake and throwback and uh again this movie came out in nineteen ninety three, so it's been twenty-eight years. <laughs> Since since
2: this <laughs> yeah no and then we decide to watch it twenty eight years after that yeah yeah oh, and,
1: and and let's talk about the director too um, yeah be oh, so, you know,
2: what the fuck hot this off is, uh, this is the most fucking, interesting
0: hold on hot off one of the few like uh, li- I'll say lazy concept studio comedies that is fantastic
1: yeah so she was she worked on Wayne's World um, and Mike Myers was at that time becoming. Very powerful. Some of that was co-opted by Lorne Michaels and the other sort of SNL enablers there. Um, but Michael, but Mike Myers was becoming a, a huge voice and was becoming sort of a, an exec producer in his own right. And he very quickly rose through the ranks to the point that, like, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, Austin Powers movies and the Shrek movies and such would have his imprints all over it uh, when they finally went into production. And, but he fought with Penelope Spherus so much. Uh, that she got bumped off of Wayne's World 2, which is like yeah. a very interesting story of like egos. Mm. Go Google that for yourself. Like there's just a, it's this both of them kind of fucking hate each other. Mike Myers in interviews would be like, oh, we made up. And then Penelope Spheris like, no, I fucking hate that guy. Um, <laughs> but,
2: and then uh, she made Beverly Hillbillies. And then and this right was after little, that, this was little, the Rascals, little Rascals as well. Which yeah, also terrible.
1: So she but immediately just, Leaned into big, big dumb studio comedies, um, which
2: is crazy coming from like "Decline of Western Civilization" and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, Because it felt like Wayne's World was like the kind of sellout that someone who made, you know, "Decline of Western Civilization" made these like awesome punk efforts where you really have to understand your subjects. Like she really got into into the the, the subject material, like. Got to a point where all these these uh, these bands and these fans like trusted her enough to like film them and not make them look like douchebags. And like some of them do some of them don't whatever Um, like she was she was this she was not a uh, a rubbernecker to punk scene. She got in it and then Mm -hmm. Wayne's World felt like it was a way for her to you know make a studio comedy And quote unquote sell out, but without selling out. Because it was like still this sort of punky comedy. It was irreverent. It was it was sort of breaking the studio system. Also did fun things
2: in the directing. And this one is directed so blandly. Yes. Like where did everything go that she put into Wayne's world? Yeah, that's where I'm
1: getting. Because Wayne's World was like like kind of revolutionary for these kind of projects especially for these these SNL movies which like you know barring a blues brothers and stuff like 90% of them are garbage right and and she uh uh, she could find little moments to be like the she, and Mike Myers, and the scriptwriters could find little moments to be like this is what these movies are supposed to do, and that's fucking boring, and we're not doing that. And then, uh, you know, she got booted out of Wayne's World too, which isn't a terrible movie. It's still in the top uh, tier of SNL movies. Yeah, it's I, not, I, like, it's, I like it. Is yeah. It is a step down. It is a fairly significant step down. I, I still so it like it like, a
2: lot, though. I mean, there's it actually feels
1: like both movies suffered from not having that sort of collaborative mind of Wayne's
0: world. I mean, there's only, there's actually like only less than 10 Saturday night live. Movies. Like it feels like there's a ton more, but there's, there's really not right. Like two of them are sequels. You, you have blues brothers. And then 12 years later, you have Wayne's world and Wayne's world opens the door to some real shit. Like, Coneheads and It's Pat and Stewart Saves His Family. Ladies Man, Night at the Roxbury. Well, yeah, and then you have a break because that's not working and then it gets the Will Ferrell train, like that era, like Night at the Roxbury, Superstar Ladies Man, and then the only other one besides those are, is McGruber.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, there's like, there's there's gotta be four that are worth watching. Five?
0: Yeah, McGruber, Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, one and two, and I have uh, a very sick Sick. I mean, that's literally it. But I do kind of have a a, a a warm place in my heart for the Ladies Man
2: movie. Thank you, thank you. I do as well. That I, I, I don't know. I, I can I just, still.
0: Did I just we make, just uh, connected? I just, I just made a connection with Marcus, and, but it's good. Yeah. Like it's a good one. I think Ladies Man is uh, is actually uh, Tim Meadows is so sweet as a character, um, mm-hmm. and it has some genuinely funny moments
2: and also just so great for tim meadows to just like have his own movie <laughs> something that he yeah. definitely deserved for a it was back time.
0: when will ferrell was you know like you get will ferrell to be in your like austin powers style and will yeah. ferrell's character in that movie is very funny yeah yeah and i, I so
1: yeah it, this is this movie is a big bummer also for penelope Ferris, who was supposed to be um this sort Good. of like she was yeah, she was, she, she was supposed to be yeah, this, like Wonderkin <laughs> <laughs> director, and yeah. she made like a really vicious horror movie in the eighties. Like she, she did a lot of like awesome punk shit before this, and this movie is just like the definition of a shitty little cash grab. And it the reason I wanted to see it was because. Of all the names we just mentioned. Had you. Nelby Spheris on the top, on the masthead, Jim Varney, Cloris Leachman is the grandmother. I really like Diedrich Bader, I think he's really funny. I love yeah. Leah Thompson. I've had a crush on her since I was a kid. Um, no real feelings about Erika Eleniak. She's but perfectly love, fine in this. Yeah, she's fine. I don't really have any feelings about her. Uh, Dabney Coleman and Lily Tomlin, obviously. Yeah, uh, and bless Dolly, Lily Tomlin. Dolly gets she, a fucking Dolly gets a fucking cameo. Like, I heard all that and I was like, oh, we have to see this movie. Turns out we didn't.
2: Yeah. Bless Lily Tomlin, though, because despite, like, how shitty this movie is, she does seem like she is really trying and having fun with it in a way that she really shouldn't be. Like, she is definitely one of the the highlights in this movie for me, her and Dabney Coleman.
1: She, they're both they're both performers that like I think are so veteran at this point with shitty material that they're like I, I'll find the nugget of gold in this pile of of fucking tyrannosaurus shit like they... and she
2: does most of my favorite moments in the film are moments with her. No she smi-
1: when she smiles she makes a scene better right like it's just kind yeah, of a her natural... smiles, her
2: eye rolls are great there's like little moments you can tell that like she kind of fucks up in a scene and just goes with it uh, like the scene with the cell phone and the limo like towards the beginning she like tries to put the antenna down on the cell phone and she actually bends it and she's just like goes with it and she's like no it's fine it'll work out
1: yeah, yeah. I want to see so this fails the Ebert rule um, which is like would you rather watch this movie or watch a movie um, of uh of all these actors hanging out. Like I would love to see Billy oh, yeah. Tomlin and nineties Penelope Spheris hanging out. Like that sounds, that e- sounds Ebert rad.
0: also gave it the rare half star rating. So, <laughs> so it also it also uh failed the uh the Ebert rule for not being a shitty movie.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a fair review. Uh
0: but yeah it Peter, you, you implied you implied that you had not seen this before. I've never seen it. Oh, so age. that – I guess that explains a little bit of the – you were kind of – y- why you were gung-ho to watching this, and then both myself and Marcus, me months ago, and Marcus, when I messaged him a few weeks ago, were like, oh, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, we can, yeah. We can do that. But, I, but no, like that on <laughs> paper, it does make a lot more sense if you're just like, hey, this could be interesting and fun to talk. Like if you're looking at these movies, we know – the. I don't think there's un- there's um, un- unfound gems, right? Like, we know the good ones. They're, they either they yeah. start with and again, or Brady. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: I, I am a, the hugest Jim Varney fan, and I only watched this movie once as a kid. I did not go back to it despite the fact that I fucking love Jim Varney. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is a movie, though, that I, for some reason, all my friends had on VHS as a kid, but I never watched, which is a pretty damning sign also. Because, like, that, this was an era when everybody had somewhere between five and ten VHS tapes. And if you spent a sleepover there, you watched whatever they had,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. It's also telling, like, this movie itself is very hard to watch. Like, it's one of those things where it's such a nothing movie culturally, it is the type of thing that you figure is is not just available, but like available everywhere. Like you want to watch this on Epic, like the Roku bother. channel, like whatever. It's it, it's literally included with every movie streaming because someone stole the rights for a dollar. Instead, it's streaming nowhere. Uh, the DVDs out of print and fetches like sixty or seventy bucks. Uh, this is a movie I, I've always forget. There's another level to that calculation, which is like this is such a nothing movie. That is available everywhere. Is that this is such a no- nothing movie? No one even remembered to put it.
2: Yeah, anywhere. no, no one bothered to put it anywhere. Yeah. So of course, we all have our own individual VHS copies that we watched.
0: Yes, uh, legally, I will say. So Marcus was nice enough to uh, legally lend us uh, a downloadable copy that he got legally from for legal purposes, and my. <laughs> Watching it, there was something that was fucked up when I watched it, so it always showed the, like, it was, you know, below the the black bars, but it always showed the, like, how much time was left, like, control panel, and I gotta tell you, if you wanna make this movie any more excruciating watch every second tick by knowing how much more you have to go
2: <laughs> i didn't have that when i watched it but yeah that would have been that. Would have i kept been horrible, trying to close
0: and reload and i don't know i watched it on an ipad so i have no fucking idea why would. that might have something I,
2: I, I watched this on my phone at work today and i kind of wish i had been working instead
0: <laughs>
2: yeah
1: when they say you wouldn't download a movie um, they meant, they, this they meant movie. all other
2: movies. <laughs> they meant all, yeah. <laughs> no, they meant this movie. They're like, you wouldn't download this movie. Like, why? Why would you? Uh, it's because I
1: made him. Uh, now, now that I'm, uh but yeah, now that now that we're here, I'm like, guys, you can tell me not to go off a cliff. I'm, I'm not going to be offended. Um, but yeah, do we want to transition and talk mm. about why this thing is such a big fucking dud? You guys yeah. want to talk about Beverly Hillberries? Hillberries? Yeah. not better. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys didn't watch Bevel- Beverly Hillberries, The
0: Asylum Free me <laughs> I mean, likely that, that one like, actually uh, might be fun. Maybe some vitamin C? Vitamin <laughs> A? <laughs> God. i listened to listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. Aaron, do you want to give us an alternate tagline? sure um i'm trying to remember how the fucking song starts and was gonna do something over there it but like the only thing now i can
1: listen look- to a story all okay now time. listen to a story there we go <laughs> now.
0: <laughs> now listen to a story about how you wasted 93 minutes of your life or more actually more accurately don't listen to a story about a man from in beverly what the in tennessee I that's how much I didn't watch the show. I don't know the song. I know the hills that is. (laughs) Black Gold, Texas tea.
2: Which the one in this movie, was that the original one, or was that like newly recorded for the movie?
0: It's not like newly recorded for the movie. There's a song that plays over the end credits that's sung by your boy. Ernest. I don't know why. James
2: Oh I kinda wish I had well. I didn't stick around and watch the credits release, really, so I don't uh, know.
0: And then all the music in this is, um, you know, it's really hard to say what the worst country music is. But I do think attempts to be, like, edgy, cool country music of the early 90s is pretty high up there. So, like, the soundtrack is all, like... I, I, these are just bands that they could be. I don't know what it is, but like fucking Little Texas and John Michael Montgomery is like, we're going to the, it's like, oh dude. Yeah. So like,
1: okay. So this movie avoids the thing that I hate in a lot of these nineties movies, which is let's take a classic pop song and have a shitty nineties band (laughs) cover it. Hold on. Are you specifically
0: referring to tag team doing, uh, the Addams family? They do
1: what they want to do, say what they want to say, Adams family. Yeah, that's.
2: Oh, oh. to be fair, that song fucking sucks. Yeah, slept. that does.
1: <laughs> I just, I hate, uh, I hate the. All right, this corny old '60s song. Let's have a '90s band do it. Don't you want to hear No FX instead of the Zombies? Well, we did. No, hold on, we
0: did praise the best part of the Flintstones of the way last week. I think as being the B52s. <laughs> Uh, yes we did the, the, Oh yeah And that's
1: like, I think the Flintstones movie Is kind of interesting contrast here In that while the fin- Flintstones movie Uh, is bad Is also bad Flintstones movie is a big old swing Like yeah. the set design is insane It's gorgeous, like it's a really cool Looking movie, the characters are I think largely really well cast Like the cast is really cool Um, and the, the jokes While many of them flail Are like At least, like, there's an attempt at a joke every 30 seconds, right? This movie is just, like, the term lazy, I think, gets tossed around a lot. But, like, the screenwriters were content with, like, zany energy um, to fill the scene way more often than they were, like... Well, we need a joke every 30 seconds. And, like, this is the era well, I mean, of well, zany but, comedy, well, on, zany 90s comedies, and it's based on a 50s comedy when, like, if 60s. you didn't have a joke every
0: 30 seconds, it was awkward. Well, that's, I mean, here's But here's how, the how thing. are
2: there four writers and no jokes? He, yeah,
0: he, I mean, the thing with the Flintstones movie, though, and we talked about this a lot last week, like, because we are either watching or familiar with the sitcoms that, like, we're doing because we, we do think that's, like, an interesting thing. To talk about, especially with the nineties aesthetic, is that like the Flintstones? Every episode, the comedy came into what if we, what if we do honeymooners type episodes in the trappings of uh, Prehistoria, Right, that's that's the joke of every episode of the show. Like the, all the laugh lines are coming from. Uh, oh, it's, you know, it's actually the bowling ball actually comes out of an elephant, right? Otherwise, it's just the the boilerplate like we have to, you know, sneak bowling in before the wife. And that was like, that was the charm of the show, which like it, love it, hate it, indifferent to it. It's 27 minutes of that. And the thing we said about the Flintstones movie is that the first 20 minutes of the movie where it's doing that with these elaborate sets and special effects is at least visually interesting and kind of cool to see how they do it like they made an amazing theme park that we would love to go to it's not that interesting a movie and then it kind of completely falls apart in that you, you can't sustain visual gags based on um, 50 sitcom plots for 90 minutes and so they introduce villains and again a uh, very sexed up uh, weird stuff for a uh, for, uh, for movie the, the point of this movie though is is the show that's making fun of I like Peter I know you called it cutesy but like the big joke, the joke that the first episode hangs its hat on, I would say, and like its theme on, to, as let you know the characters, is Jed Clampett uh, agrees to sell the thing for some some you know twenty five or a hundred of those new dollars, and like you know his sister or whoever it is is like new dollars. What do you mean new dollars? You know they keep going up in dollars. They got silver dollars. They got. uh they got gold dollars. Uh, they, they offered me some of those 25, those new million dollars, which I think permeates everything that we see because that is not a funny joke. It's not visually interesting. It's not interesting. It also does nothing with the concept. The idea that she's so dumb that he doesn't understand like what uh, – he thinks a million dollars is a new name for – a type of dollar they're giving him permeates this entire movie. Cause the idea of rich backwater people living in opulence in you know a rich city that prides itself on his richness is a great fish out of water con- It may or not be great, but it's a basic fish out of water concept. You could it's something that could that work that could work, or at least you can jokes on
1: and, like, people pe- people showing up high society is great comedy. Like, because it, it yeah. both, like, can make fun of, it can make fun of, like, working working class people. But also, like, it can let rest a lot of ire in the dumb shit that rich people do to feel important and feel like they earned their money.
0: So this is, but again, jokes like that in the pilot that I watch, and jokes we already talked about in the movie, take that concept and reduce it to... What if we do the stupids or the coneheads? And so the concept of the plot, besides the visual comedy, as it were, that you would get of, um, you know, a guy in a shitty car driving up to his mansion, is is reduced because you just have a more laid back Mork and Mindy situation happening, essentially, right? Where every concept, mm-hmm. or like Third Rock from the Sun, right, like. Where just everything needs to be explained. He doesn't know what a million dollars is in the movie. They don't know what a door doorbell is or bowl or how bowling works and stuff like that. And you go, oh, the Flintstones like it, love it, or hate it. Commits to its concept and then runs out of plot very quickly and still commits to its concept, but just doesn't have anywhere to go because you can't can't do a twenty minute sitcom plot in a hundred minute, you know, fifty million dollar movie. This has nowhere to go because there was no theres there's no structure built to begin with uh, and they just kind of keep instead of going let's think of something interesting to do with you know the the, the Clinton voters moving to Gore country or whatever the sorry the uh, the George HW Bush voters moving to Clinton country um, I I'd like, again you just have the shitty shittier cone heads
1: yeah yeah there's the the, the the comedic basis for this is actually fairly strong i think um if you are sly about it and you avoid being classist and like that's the thing actually like marcus i i didn't even think about this but like um <laughs> like people from the south get made fun of a lot in these movies and we talked about sure uh, do we talked about in a recent movie how much i dislike the like talladega knights era of comedy where it, because these like neoliberal filmmakers like Adam McKay and these SNL writers were so mad at uh, Southerners and I use that in quotes because obviously you know lots and lots of left-leaning people live in the South. It, southerners voted for George Bush so they all just must be NASCAR watching Mountain Dew swill and bumpkins and like that year of comedy never sat well with me. Um it, it never it never made me feel right. I remember being like, No, if you live if you're if you're like a Democrat voter living in Arkansas, like fuck you, you're more you're way more uh more uh brave than I am. <laughs> you're way more important than well, I see,
2: am. And that's the thing with this one, they are doing kind of like the family out of time thing that they do well in the pretty bunch, but it's just instead of being a family still set in like the seventies but you're in the nineties, it's just oh no, you're from the south, so that's pretty much like being twenty years behind everyone else and not knowing what door. Bells are. Yeah, yeah I think, I there's think a cute way to work. do,
1: and there's a cute way to do jokes about like you know. There's a lot of Canadian comedies that are cute about like, um, like oh we got this a little later than LA did. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, it's
2: yeah. There there are good ways to do it. This, this movie is, this, this movie has, had, is yeah. so
0: lazy that it doesn't even do the lazy joke of one of them discovering a bidet for the first time. Like that's lazy and hacky, but at least is like. Well,
2: honestly, a scene of Dietrich Bader discovering a bidet would have been but, a good scene in this well, movie. Well, be it would be better. It would be better
0: than everything offered yeah. because, like, even though it's hacky and it's lame and it's not original and you're just doing the same joke, it at least fits what you're fucking going for, which is people of, of lesser means discovering, uh, you know, technology and 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 a life that they've never seen before. Like,
2: But it's not a lesser means thing. It's just like, oh, these people are fucking stupid.
1: And all of it just becomes like a shittier version of the Dumb and Dumber joke where they show up to the fancy party wearing those like bright neon tuxedos, right? Like yeah. it
0: all becomes a shittier exactly. version of Dumb and Dumber. Like, D- come on. <laughs> uh, but also, the you know, I, I agree, Peter. I want you to get to the plot really quickly. Sorry, uh, I do agree that. That kind of like all Southerners it's the same thing like that happens in real life too, where we're like Georgia gets hit hard with COVID and there's fucking idiot like neoliberals on Twitter being like, This is what you get, Georgia, for uh your governor's actions that you voted for. It's like, yeah, fifty like it's forty nine point nine percent to forty like nine point six percent. Like, you don't have to like be told you so about people dying because because some people voted for a governor that that made some bad decisions so
1: but 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 those people are keeping la from turning red Aaron. so
0: um you know they're they're doing the lord's work yeah i know but here's the but here's here's what this movie does that i find equally frustrating and actually another thing that has permeated our culture which is the idea that like rural americans are more upstanding, more moral, and even though they don't understand doorbells and bowling, they are understand what it means to be a good human being. Um, And that's like a narrative that I think is very, like, it's something that the reason that's permeated our culture so much is that the Hollywood script writers are like, wouldn't it be great to just leave the hustle and bustle and, and like, meet just a simple folk who's concerned about, like, not about, like, mortgage rates and and whose divorce lawyer is is screwing who? But like, just like, just go get a gun and go shoot my dinner out in the backwoods and stuff like that. And so you have a lot of culture that's written by you know, <laughs> uh, uh, liberals. Wouldn't it be nice to have a cabin somewhere? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is like based on the idea that like, like the 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 the, the Clampets in this movie are like part of the 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 way that this movie's trying to mine comedy is like here's Leah thompson and rob schneider who are like these these yuppie sex craze schemers and they're constantly outwitted by good hard working americans and like the problem with that narrative in our media is that it's per- it's literally a part of our politics and our culture right you have an entire political party and sometimes a a mainstream media that supports that, that like the idea that real Americans are the people who like can't handle the fast paced hustle and bustle of city life. But what it actually means is like, don't like black people. And so like this movie really trots in that idea that like, that people who don't live in a city are better, literally better morally Than people who do live in a city?
2: They do that, but I will say they don't do the whole thing about, like, you know, the yuppies can't get past, you know, the good hearted southerner thing, because everything that happens with them discovering the evil plot of Schneider and Thompson in this is kind of happenstance. Like, Granny happens to see them kissing, but it's, you know, she didn't do anything for that. And then it's Lily Tomlin, like, the Beverly Hills, like, person that actually busts her out and saves the day in the end.
0: But they say, really, like, the fact that Lily Tomlin was able to do that is because, you know, even the somewhat non-evil president of a giant bank. Uh, some The fact that I said somewhat non-evil and then president of a giant bank is what made me laugh. Um he, yeah, he tries he to fire her and, nice and, and, guy, Jed, and Jedu offers the good old wisdom with like, hey, wasn't she actually doing what you hired? you? Yeah, so you should keep her. So like that's the kind of shit that's like I hate and I hate it because like I do hate it for for, you know, metatextual reasons that like this this thing that we're being shown has led to a lot of weird, real like weird in the sense that how is it possible that it's led to this much harm? But like. I really think that as a country and as a media uh, narrative that, like, there's generally an idea that people in North Dakota or South Dakota are more moral than someone who lives in California or New York. And that's just, like,
2: ridiculous. Also, I mean, let's talk about this as well, if that's what we're kind of talking about. Um, There is, like, zero acknowledgement or anything involving like race at all on this oh, movie yeah. like oh, yeah. i don't think there's a black person in this movie at all that i can recall
0: oh yeah wow yeah. i mean there's not i yeah. i had that in my notes too that like that that would be something that'd be interesting to I mean, it wouldn't be, not in the context of this movie. But, yeah, there's no black people. Not,
2: yeah, not in the context of but this movie. But, yeah, that's movie, actually going It's back weird that it's such
1: a non-thing. But that goes back movie. to Clueless and Ten Things I Hate About You and such. Like, actual really great subversive comedies of this era. <clears throat> you know, the leads were always white, yes. But um, they had, like, black characters for black people to... Uh, you know at least have an option to uh identify with there should have been more characters of color um they should have leaned less into stereotypes but like shit man like (laughs) like, there's like in clueless like there's it's a fairly diverse cast for what is a 90s comedy about a white woman that falls in love with her white brother-in-law or white stepbrother or whatever. Um
2: Well, who is Paul
1: Rudd? Yeah, for a movie about Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd falling in love, like there's there's a decent number of people of color. Um it it, it is it is pretty crazy because this movie had so many opportunities that it just completely drops. And like okay, so the thing that uh I talked about a little bit with Adam's family. Uh is is I'll that, remind you to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I talked about with Adam's family, uh, for a little bit is that
2: actually, the
0: for quite moment, for quite a while, satiric, if I remember,
1: very cynical, Correctly. um,
2: for being very cynical. Okay, you talked for like twenty five minutes about that, <laughs> guys. <laughs> guys,
0: people don't like time jokes.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, Aaron always gives me shit for not knowing which week we're recording i know before, it's just, it's... And right now i'm trying i'm trying to double back and like i know i'm very it's... proud of you i just i yeah. can't
0: i mean you just talked <laughs> talked about this for so long back then now i'm
1: shot calling um but uh the thing that i talked about a little bit with adam's family is that uh it's actually a like at times a, a rather wholesome story because it is about like loving people for who they are yeah if they're weirdos if they're freaks like you embrace people
2: which this movie like barely like scratches the tiniest bit of a surface of thinking yeah. about that and this, like once or twice this is so
1: cynical it. and like this movie could have used a lot of like obviously every you know it's easy to say every comedy deserves better comedy but um this movie could have had a lot of really fantastic jokes um, if you drop Rob Schneider and Lily Tomlin, like the villain characters from the movie and just make the villain like classism and capitalism, you could have made like a pretty killer comedy about like, uh, you know, country folk learning a little bit from the city folk and city folk learning a little bit from the country folk. And like there's a whole sequence where Ellie Mae is um ellie may ellie may is weird in the show and in the movie she's supposed to be both like 16 but also 22 um like she's supposed to be 16
2: but you're
0: supposed to want to fuck her yeah it's what she's supposed to be (laughs) sixteen, but it's not supposed to be weird because she's supposed to be 22
1: yeah, but it's supposed <laughs> to be sixteen, but the age of consent in whatever southern state she's from is fourteen, right? Like whatever. Of, of
0: course, of course. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. But but yeah, there's jokes in the. There's one of the only jokes in the sitcom I laughed at is the grandmother complaining about Ellie Mae busting buttons off her shirt because <laughs> she's <laughs> she just keeps her Yeah. Anyways. Um. So. Uh, <laughs>
2: wait, wait. Are you saying that's one of the jokes you like because? just the idea of boobs make you laugh
1: no it's that she it's that she keeps she just keeps getting bigger and the shirt they just keep being like i'm just going to have to keep sewing the buttons back on and her boobs just keep getting bigger and they just so, keep sewing so the, uh, the, the uh, buttons the, back on
2: the idea of boobs makes you giggle.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, I'm i okay. I'm a mature man, and I get to laugh <laughs> at mature
0: comedy like this. Um, Peter LMA, watched a lot the- of Under Siege in Charlie's Jackoff room in the basement, <laughs> <laughs> and then, like this was the movie he showed to his friends and family. God, uh, but the the point is that there's this whole
1: sequence in both the show and in the movie where Jed takes ellie aside and says like you're a woman now you have to stop dressing like a tomboy which like you know obviously sucks in like a modern gender perspective but also that could have been round that could (laughs) have been a bad opportunity for her to have like a 90s punk friend even if she was a stereotype who was like fuck wearing dresses that's patriarchal bullshit yeah. like that's like that's like that's something that like the Brady Bunch movie does yeah um, jokes like that where they're like they're they're trying to draw parallels to like what cultural issues were big for the 60s versus what you know we still didn't figure out for the 90s and like you know how second wave feminism influenced that blah 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 blah, blah. but like but here it's just like nature
2: made you a girl you better put on a dress
1: that is as close as it gets to wholesome and it's fucking disgusting because it's just like Gender normativity is a thing, Ellie Mae. And it's like hearing that out of Jim Varney's mouth, like a guy who I 100% like. 100% you know,
0: believe the same thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hearing that out of Jim Varney's
0: mouth, like. I will say like that man over. wore so many he dresses. He did not even so. know he was in a movie in that scene, which you can debate me on. His acting, but I think you'll agree that half the time it's very possible he did not know he was in a movie because they didn't involve him all that much.
1: I hope you yeah like you feel like he'll walk into the scene like eat, still eating a bagel yeah,
0: he's, like, like, <laughs> he's like well, and then he like tried to play to it, it off like it's a bagel what, what the hell damn here's my bread with a hole in it
2: well, so I definitely want to talk about some of these at some point but at so at the end of the movie there's the little credit bloopers um, the Dolly Parton one like she says her line and then you can hear someone in the background be like Jim where's Jim and then you
0: know he's just outside
2: smoking a cigarette like while they're filming the scene <laughs> but,
0: but <laughs> Hold on. Before we move too far from, it, I do want to say that, like, I part of, part of my note. You talked about like here's some interesting concepts they could have done with some of these like gender normative and racial ideas and wealth disparity and class struggles and stuff like that. I like as I realized there was no black people in this movie or no people of color. Well, the- I, actually, I, there is one. I mean, basically, there's no people of color in this.
2: There, there's one woman with no lines, and she's just in the line of people that want to marry Jed Clampett when they discover he's a billionaire. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. The
1: the the possible suitors for Jed Clampett is is diverse, which is a joke to the movie. Like the idea that all yeah. sorts of LA hot women are gonna come to try it. Yeah, whatever.
0: Well,
2: yeah, that that's the most. But
0: but I realize, like, as I'm watching that, I'm like, oh, like one of the somewhat true stereotypes about southerners is that they have a lot of uh issues with people of color and i thought you know well, it'd be super interesting obviously this movie is not going to do it but what would be like a fucking great beverly hillbillies movie to make that like that is just based on like vicious unrelenting satire Is this idea of you do the beverly hillbillies which is again this idea of you know, a class disparity, that someone with no means has means and they move to Beverly Hills. But they ultimately get along with everyone, and part of the reason they get along is because both places like uh Backwoods of uh Tennessee and Rich Opulence uh Beverly Hills, uh has essentially the same uh feelings about people of color. That like if that you know if they're useful, great. But ultimately, we're supporting like a, a different time of like white supremacy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that their their income and class are so different, they can at least get along on that. And yeah, police. like that idea
0: of yeah. Well, exactly. Like I and I actually think that would be someone like it'd be like it would be quite. I don't know if the Beverly Hillbillies type people would give the rights away to to make a movie like that. But like you think about it, like. You know, uh, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, oh, such a liberal paradise. But all of the stuff, like, the struggles that we know about, like, directors and actors of color and, like, how marginalized they've been in the industry for decades upon decades and, like, there's a fight. Like, that's actually, like, the same. That that idea of it's not just, like, the South that has been shitty to people of color. It's also liberal uh, haven. Uh, money Beverly Hills that has done the exact same shit. And then ultimately, the bond that the fucking Clampets are forming with the rich well-to-dos in Beverly Hills is the fact that, like, they're white.
2: Yeah, that the same thing happens anyway. I mean, look yeah. at how many movies Rob Schneider was in in the 90s. Like, it's ridiculous. Rob Schneider was the
0: hot chick, canonically. Yeah, like, I, I,
1: Aaron, I, I like that. I like that poll. I also could see a thing where like all of the white people in the movie are trying to steal their money and they end up forming a friendship with like a normal ass, like no stereotypes, black family. Um, because like, they're, they're also like (laughs) all these fucking white people are trying to steal her money. (laughs) All these white people are just trying to take advantage of us. Like I could see, I could see you doing a few different versions of satire just by being like, all you need to do is write on the big fucking whiteboard, like, uh, race. Like, and then all of a sudden, like ideas come forward, and, and then you like, put sure. like an
0: ass at the end, and then a dollar sign. So, it's- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't. I okay. Do do I think that this movie uh, could have been fixed that way by adding more themes? Absolutely not. Like, it's uh, a fairly friction. It's frictionless the entire way through, which is one of the reasons I think I gave it like a star and a half or whatever. So I was just like, when I was over, I was like. Yeah, I mean I didn't. I wasn't mad
0: at the movie. <laughs> I was. Um uh, I was and I don't like, mean like it, it also has the other problem that I hate about Oh, sorry, were you building up to a point?
1: Uh but yeah, I, I just think I just think that there's a lot there's so many opportunities for comedy in bringing, you know, a bunch of quote-unquote Southern bumpkins to to the north and none of them rely on either a like talladega Nights style like ain't ain't southerners stupid because i have no interest in that shit which is it's, it's all offensive. this movie is yeah no no interest in that stupid shit stupid on it's a classic, level of, it's
0: like it's a classist
1: guess. and not productive right um and then i also don't have any interest in a movie about um how uh secretly secretly working class people are better than the rest of us like that's that's condescending bullshit too right like it's um
2: well coming from people who are not working class people
1: <laughs> yeah yes 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 it's it, it, it like i i think that like you could have made a pretty family-friendly comedy and had there be some like you know shared lessons between all them and like not had villain characters i mostly am focused on the not villain characters because then it would remove rob schneider from
2: the movie but yeah but also leah thompson who who is perfectly fine in this
0: so, there's two things in here bank. that I think uh, that you just mentioned, Peter, that is the other reason that I have so much ire directed towards this movie. Like, there's there's a couple uh, – one of them is less ire and just like, what the fuck? I don't know what – the 90s really leaned into its, like, we're edgy persona really, really oddly. We talked about this with the Flintstones last week. Like, why was – it like, this is a – Again, I I have no I am not prudish. I have no problem with sex. Why is Halle Berry so horny for Fred Flintstone and the fucking kids? Like it just doesn't make yeah, sense. It, Why yeah, so is weird. like Rob Schneider so fucking horny to fuck his wife in this movie? Like do phone sex? Well,
2: not not his wife, but he is just
0: like a slimy pervert a, worm. Yeah, I mean like he. They're trying they to do a phone sex. Girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's a pg rated movie and he's like he, he's like uh like staring at her in the in like a tight fitting thing and just being like like doing that thing like uh that they did in like fucking old shitty like beer commercials where he's like biting his knuckles and like well,
2: he basically right. acts more or less the same way that like the kevin Connolly character acts like when a attractive woman is around
0: i mean a little less funny so that that's just weird like the idea that like Every – even like PG, they're like, we're going to use that parental guidance, and it's going to be fucking horny. (laughs) Anyways, this is a kid's movie based on a TV show no one likes. Um, But the actual thing that actually gets my air up that has ruined some of my favorite comedies that was like a huge thing in this era was like, you know what we need for all comedies? Villains. We need villains. We need a plot. We need – And we need a guy – and a dress. We need all... Yeah, well, that, too. We need all the auspices of comedy to go away so that they can beat the villains. It's just, like, every... Like, all those Saturday Night Live comedies that we named that were terrible and, like, every 90s comedy has a villain plot. Even movies that I generally like. You know, Peter, we're never going to do dirty work on the show because, like, I, there's too much in there I can't defend. But it was for a while, like... a a very funny movie but like even like those are like the adam sandler type movies like the happy gilmore like the last third is almost uniformly dedicated to like beating the bad guy and the movie always becomes less funny in the in the last 30 minutes it's like who like dirty works i think just a fantastic example because like the funny part of that movie is like they have a prank business that they just yeah it's do. the
2: concept but yeah. then it's like oh we gotta beat Christopher McDonald and yeah or, and there's a late yeah.
0: there's
1: a late like surge of funniness in the middle of that but like when when you're watching the yeah. plan come to fruition and like you're watching like Norm gloat in it
0: like it doesn't work <laughs> <And> <laughs> because it, yeah. it suddenly gets very plotty say what you will about like the Judd Apatow's and the Adam McKee's of the world the best thing that I think they did when it comes to like big star-studded studio movie comedies is the idea of making the conflict related to the character themselves as opposed to an outside villain attacking the character because you you see a shift when you start you know seeing like you know, for the most part, like the Inkermans and the forty-year-old Virgin and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, the the it's you know it's Steve Carell in the forty-year-old version that becomes his own worst enemy and leads to the drama that leads to the third act, as opposed to like someone trying, like Steve Carell's boss trying to, you know, fire him and ruin his relationship as he has to, like it 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 takes away drama because it's outside stuff and then it ruins the comedy because now you're dealing with weird plot machinations as opposed to like. Uh, uh character the growth drama of the <laughs> yeah, yeah that means you didn't draw that means you didn't draw accurate
1: characters yeah. right because like <clears throat> i think that in uh action movies or like outright parody um it's great to have villains yeah because it like draws dynamic contrast really really quickly but if you're making a movie that's about characters trying to fit in putting villains in there is just a it's just an awkward way of adding structure right it, it, it's like it, it, it feels like a producer note. It definitely feels like a fucking producer note and Dirty. Yeah, one. we need comedy. Like, well, it,
2: it's just... It always seems like shooter, the concept can shooter, only shooter, take yeah, you... Yeah, name is. Yeah, but it's like the concept can only take you so far. So they get like a good 30, 45 minutes out of like a fun idea of a concept. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but this has to be a whole movie, so... Uh, there's a villain, and they got to defeat the villain, and they just, you know, do that by not changing and just doing the same thing they did for the first part of the movie.
0: Yeah, it's lazy save the cat writing, right? Like, yeah. oh, who, what's our conflict? Okay, we'll introduce this guy. He's a bad guy. He doesn't like the main character. Um,
2: yeah. We'll show him.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll show him. We'll get him back. Maybe it'll be at least somewhat tangibly related to the plot. <laughs> like, uh, um, like a uh uh, uh 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 like a like a dirty work where at least they have to prank them to win or like maybe it won't be like uh, m- most Adam Sandler movies besides weirdly Billy Madison which is a almost serves as like a parody of the uh the the comedy movie villain <laughs> Billy Madison is good is what I'm saying.
1: Billy Madison yeah, is good, is. but that's it like, that's an outright, that one is like Step Brothers. Like there's an outright parody going on there. Yeah. Um, even stepbrothers, like it has a uh, uh, Derek or Dirk, whatever Adam Scott's character name is. Um, and like, but like he's kind of dispensed for interpersonal drama. Yeah. At the end, like the, 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 the conflict is, uh, <laughs> the conflict becomes like, you know, uh, can these characters patch up their relationships by the end which is just like it even in the silliest of silly parody movies sometimes it's nice to just have like there not be a villain like it, you can reach such funnier heights by actually dwelling in the character as opposed to just being like you like this character don't you now a character is trying to take their house away <laughs> okay, yeah. okay 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 like uh but like I'm not sure I like this character. Well, you better like them better than Rob Schneider. Like
2: why well, do? But Well, I mean, that's easy.
0: Yeah, like it... well, also like the idea of introducing drama, which is what like theoretically a second to third act conflict is supposed to do, is removed by the fact that like and this is true of all these movies, like no one even has a suspension of disbelief that the end of this movie Rob Schneider makes off with a billion dollars right like fucking you know shooter mcgavin's not winning it's not drama when you know what's going to happen at the end and one thing about like the interpersonal drama of like good comedies that recognize that if you need a conflict and you don't just want to be a joke machine like the conflict should come from the characters because comedies based in characters and drama should be based in characters um that like at the very least, even if you're like, oh, the you know the the couple will probably get together at the end, or they'll probably end up okay. There can still be a personal cost that you could recognize can happen to people that can lend drama. Forty year old virgin, like sure you, you like you know that he's going to end up and and uh, get the girl, but like you know, let's say he ends up sleeping with Elizabeth Banks character, like does that end up being? Some sort of uh, uh, wedge between their relationship, or getting back together, or something like you know, you those things have real world stakes that we can relate to. Not like someone's trying to steal them <laughs> the mall, <whole laughs> and, and my character works at the mall. That's where he makes all his best shakes.
1: And that was the that was the worst part. That was obviously the worst part of um, fucking. Like that was the that was the worst part of like eighties comedies, right? Is like, well, yeah. You're like, oh, this is fun and zippy, and then like it all all of a sudden we
2: gotta it. save the Wreck Center, which is why yeah, Better I hundred percent. Dead Animal is the best eighties
1: comedy. What Better is? Off Dead is mate is the best comedy of the eighties yeah. because Better Off Dead was like, I saw a movie last year that was really fucking stupid, and we're gonna make a movie that's basically that but like thirty percent more ridiculous. How's that for you? And it worked. like whatever all you need is to like tweak these stupid tropes a little bit and all of a sudden it works and like another thing that i absolutely hate is like this movie is just like devoid of jokes and like some of the jokes that land are like or some of the jokes that 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 pop up are like actually really mean-spirited like i think that i think the Diedrich bader stuff dressed as a as a woman um, the Super Diedrich Bader and drag thing—that's yeah.
2: all so fucking mean spirited.
1: That's just a transphobic joke because the, yeah. the because uh, Diedrich Bader's character is supposed to be uh the twin sister of Diedrich Bader. There, uh, she has no
2: jokes. No, no, it's, no the lines. whole joke is like, "Hey, we know this is a man wearing a dress. Isn't it funny that this woman looks like a man?"
1: yeah and then like I remember watching Wedding Singer and being a little bit uncomfortable by how they treated Alexis Arquette just like I, I haven't seen that movie in like a decade I'm sure it's I actually it's saw it great. recently
0: I mean they definitely have like some jokes about the oddness of there actually is mostly not mean spirited jokes like cause the one thing about Adam Sandler comedies even like especially in the 90s is that they were generally like recognizing that society sus- society felt these people were odd but like you're well yeah because
2: was, it was the uh, shitty characters the bad characters that would say the more mean-spirited jokes and
0: yeah movies. like it w- like yeah wedding singer is a great example right it's the hollywood hunk good-looking uh wall street millionaire guy who is the piece yeah. of garbage who is saying all the mean shit and you're recognizing that like the typical you know, Reagan Republican is a piece of garbage, and, like, yeah, this is a a wacky assortment of people who, like, don't quite fit into that kind of, like, uh, greed is good society. Um, And, like, as an audience member, you're meant to recognize that there's humor there, but, like, Adam Sandler's never mean spirited. Drew Barrymore. That's a never good point. That's yeah. a good point. And I think like
1: I I think that Alexis Arquette being in that movie like I, I'm, all I'm saying is that like, like the biggest joke simil- is that
0: she only does one song. Oh, she only does yeah. the Boy George song, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. But yeah. So, uh, th- my point there, yes. So that's that's a good interjection. But like my point here is that, like if your movie is more mean spirited than like an Adam Sandler 90s <laughs> <Yeah>. comedy. <laughs> But is not like it's not cruel and mean like upward. It's not cruel and mean towards like rich people or you know like white straight guys. Like maybe reassess because Diedrich Bader's character has absolutely no jokes as a woman. Um, they it's are the, it's awesome just that man.
2: like hey, you know this is me, Diedrich Bader, saying womanly type things.
1: Yeah, and also like I'm just gonna park here really quickly. Dietrich Bader isn't that bad looking as a woman. Pretty, I don't know pretty things, good. I don't know if that fits here. P- pretty good, actually. He's got a good jawline. Yeah, oh, yeah.
2: great jawline. Also, really eyes. good makeup job. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Looks very, but I will say the one thing that made it a little bit better for me, um, despite that being like really shitty and hateful, is that I do like that it's kind of balanced out with just making fun of Rob Schneider being a little tiny baby man.
1: <laughs> there, are, there's okay yeah there's one joke which is that uh, dj painter is huge and rob schneider it's like,
2: like i mean it doesn't forgive it way. at all but i just anytime i just get to see rob schneider be thrown around like a little tiny baby so man. i
0: i like that like, part too but i
2: approaching a joke right i yeah.
0: do think it has like the last terribly shitty movie that we did on this show now come to think of it mixed nuts i think you're supposed to be like Hey look at this terrible thing that's happened to this guy that you don't like and I uh, that's uh right. that is like the the contrast in size is uh is funny but like I think you're supposed to recognize that what's happening to Rob Schneider is a punishment. I, and I don't want do, I don't wanna I do think you're correct this.
2: on that you're, but you're I right. just think it's funny seeing him thrown around and because he's such a tiny little worm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean and Rob like, Schneider is, is it's it's the is like the literally the most harmful thing to come out of this movie because he's (laughs) he's a fucking manga boy right now
1: yeah and like and uh and like you know given that like you know on the show like we you know we're we're very much trying to be as sensitive as we can to these issues and when we see stuff like this like all i can think of you know the whole like Uh, Diedrich bader in drag being like why won't rob schneider you know commit to me we're in love all i can think of is that scene in trading places where the gorilla um the gorilla just gets to have free rape run on the villain of the movie you're like the joke is that this man this man is gonna be violated like like it is, it is like an animal thing. Like they don't treat this character with yeah. any dignity and respect. And like, okay, we don't need to park on it too long. Cause it is just like a dumb joke. But like, I was not expecting at the, towards the end of this movie to all of a sudden be like, get a bunch of transphobic shit that like
2: made incredibly me transphobic because not only like does she not get lines or have any jokes or anything like that the joke of the movie is yeah that it's punishment but that like oh she just takes him and forces herself on him and like is yeah basically like trading places going to rape him more or less yeah. if
0: he wasn't or, but thankfully he was
2: arrested by the cops and got away from it
0: can i tell you like actually the part that like legitimately like this movie did make me angry in all the reasons that we said, both for, like, the t- the type of comedy that it reminded me of, like, the villain stuff, the, like, the, the incredibly laziness, the, the political, both wasted opportunity and feeding into a narrative I hate. The part that actually made me sad was related to that scene, but it was the uh, post-credit bloopers. There was something that was even, Ugh. like, more... F- Almost like – like, I just watched a terrible movie, right? And, like, there is this, like, weird – not weird, but, like, unfortunately, like, aggressively transphobic shit at the end. Seeing the uh, blooper reel where every one of the cast outside of – out out of character (laughs) – Thinks it's so fucking funny.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, Rob Schneider so- breaks on nothing. Just the fact just that the fact he is sitting that, yeah. there in a dress and says something like kind of feminine.
0: He's just like, oh, I'm sorry,
2: I can't do this. And this then is Dieter so ridiculous. Ba- Bader
0: like la- like has that laugh of like, I know this is so silly, and it just like that like moment. That's probably the knows. most like, mean spirited thing. It in was mean spirited in a way that like broke the literally broke like the fourth wall of like oh you guys are being like act like it's not just the movie that you're acting as mean-spirited it's that like you individuals making this movie are having so much fun being this mean-spirited that like like again i don't have high expectations for i you know rob Schneider. i don't know diedrich bader as like a uh, politics and of course like i'm not like i know the early 90s like i mean stuff i love thought it was hilarious to put a man in a dress like kids in the hall and stuff like that right
1: but um, and, and, but like i was gonna say the kids in the hall stuff was very often just like what's the most ridiculous thing we can do? like dra- drag history <laughs> d- and at yeah, least they were characters I, yeah
0: i get i get yeah. a, it, the joke in, the joke in kids, and kids and in jokes. the hall wasn't wasn't like oh my gosh what if all these people raped you like so i mean i i get that there's a there's a pretty major difference but there was something about seeing the break character and then also be that transphobic that was like oh that's a real bummer of an ending to this
1: it's a big it's a big t- uh sour taste in your mouth i feel i feel like we've talked about uh a few times in this show um yeah in our 250 plus episodes yeah um uh,
0: we- all right time to do the plot no, just kidding. I, um, <laughs> the plot is that, that they, they I, moved I to I Beverly to... and there's, I think, and there's villainous machinations against them. People
1: want to take their money and then eventually one of those people that wants to take their money is Leah Thompson, who is Rob Schneider's girlfriend, who poses as a French uh, tutor, uh, tutor because for Eric Yelaniak. for she has to be more ladylike because uh, it's time to be the- an
0: actual woman. And then they
1: use the man. Can you guess they use the most cliched fucking comedy plot ever, which is, oh, and an evil woman is uh, evil con woman is going to marry the 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 matriarch of the family. Um, The only time this has ever worked is Adam's family values. Um, And then, uh, you know, the wedding uh, at the wedding, all the plans get revealed uh, because, you know, people find out. And then um, and there's a
2: monster truck.
1: And then all the rednecks come in for the wedding and there's redneck jokes about monster trucks and shotguns and, and you know, farting good old and time and getting the foot. fiddle out and doing a little line dancing, like all all the fucking lazy stereotypes happen. And then uh, they save the day and then they, I think they decide to stay in Beverly Hills at the end of the movie. I don't know.
2: Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It's just like, I guess they're fine. Everything's fine. Nothing really happens. No one really changes. Everyone's just fine. Also, Everyone's the the fine. bank
1: president
0: is sort of a good guy.
1: Yeah, Dabney Coleman is actually pretty funny in this. We touched on it earlier. Dabney yeah. Coleman, and, and like, but they could have given Dabney Coleman a whole meal here, and he would have, he would have fucking chomped down, because like, Dabney Coleman could have been a character that you felt conflicted about, where you're like, he wants to take advantage of these rubes, and then eventually he like, comes to sympathize with them, and then like, eventually comes to their side, but like, Lily Tomlin serves that role, and then Dabney Coleman at the end is like, Well, I guess you found out my plan, so we're going to continue to work together. Like, they don't, like, leave his bank at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Dabney
2: Coleman is kind of so endearing throughout the entirety of the movie. Even though they do a couple of jokes about him, like, being a cheapskate and being greedy and stuff. Yeah, Like, he's never unlikable. Like, he was worried about that $5,000 (laughs) $5,000! But he's never, like, really unlikable because he's fucking Dabney Coleman. (laughs) And he's just, like, kind of charming and fun. Like, so, yeah, that never really happens with that character
1: yeah yeah it's it uh it sucks um <clears throat> but yeah the the, the 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 shitty wedding plot is the only time that the movie really gets into plot it's mostly just bad redneck jokes and like but it's I like, bad red, red, it's like again bit.
0: what if he buys a monkey and doesn't know what bowling is that's 10 minutes I, of the movie
1: i i'm gonna we talked about this a little bit in when we did uh the santa pause movies for or we did a santa pause movie for uh christmas but Santa Paz is um, fucking Citizen Kane next to this. But Santa Paz broke me. Like Santa Paz made me laugh so fucking hard. Yeah, Santa Paz um, is the best. Santa Paz is, you know, inter- intermittently the most boring movie on Earth, but also intermittently the craziest shit I've ever seen. Um, but OK, so um, I we talked a little bit like these chimp movies that were huge and how the the, the Golden Retriever Air Bud movies are kind of hand in hand with the chimp movies um, similar directors, similar production companies, similar animal wranglers, similar abusive animals. Uh, I've gotten to the point now where when I see a chimp in a movie and it's not just a movie about like a chimp hanging out in the jungle, it's not like a documentary. Um, I just get mad and sad whenever they make chimps do stunts in movies. Now, like it was something I loved as a kid. Like I loved like, you know, whatever Dunstan checks in and all that bullshit as a kid. When I see a chimp in a movie now, I'm just like,
2: Oh, he wasn't that's, treated well.
1: That poor fucking animal. Yeah. And also, like you now, when the chimp does the thing, they're like, "Smile, chimpy," and he pulls his upper lip up. I'm like, "That's what chimps do before they tear your fucking nuts off." that's, <laughs> that's not. Chimps have like, a, chimps have like an attack coda, and one of them is like smiling at you before they tear your face off.
0: Was there any part when you were watching this, Peter, that you like, even for a moment, just to make yourself feel a little better, that you thought it might be a documentary? <laughs> oh my god! I would love
1: a uh, I would love a Grey Gardens, but just about uh, <laughs> like <laughs> some random family in Texas that like you know struck gold, sold sold their their you know family farm, moved to Beverly Hills, and it's like a Grey Gardens slash what was that awesome Queen of uh about that Queen of Versailles, Queen of Versailles, that
0: movie. Was so, so good. good. No one
1: talks about it anymore.
0: I got like Queen of Versailles, Grey Gardens. That's because they got their money back. And so it feels like it now has a sad ending as opposed to a happy ending. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else. Uh, I'll, I'll. This, these are my final thoughts. I and then you guys do whatever you want to do, including continue recording for an hour.
2: I'll uh, I have like two things I, I want. Okay, right
0: yeah, now. go ahead, Marcus. Uh, so one
2: was another animal-related thing. So one of the uh, outtakes in the end in the credits is Leah Thompson, but she doesn't have like a flub or anything, and a bird just lands on her head. Uh, d- do you think that just happened or was that staged for? the blue brew thing cuz it seemed kind of wrangled it's I mean all just... birds
0: are fans of Leah Thompson because of her starring role in one of the most famous bird movies of all time, Howard the Duck. <laughs> That's oh wow. Yeah, uh
1: all the all the 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 uh flated birds are trying to get to be the next movie the next she Howard the Duck. Yeah, every like Leah Thompson wanted to but... fuck
0: one bird. Yeah.
2: she she probably wants to fuck
0: the yeah. rest
1: of the
2: birds as you gotta, well you gotta shoot your shot if you're a bird who wants to fuck <laughs> oh, Thompson. god you guys
1: have that's seen a good Howard perspective the in the past decade right yeah it's the most filthy movie it's, it's a, at some point he pulls out like a duck condom
2: yeah it's very fucking there's gross. duck tits in it
1: oh there there's duck titties a lot in yeah. the um
0: i mean again but, the, the leah thompson's romantic interest is a duck that she wants to fuck
2: well i mean in this movie it's rob schneider which one is more weird
0: i mean she does not <laughs> want to fuck rob schneider she is scheming she's forced to fuck well it is, rob it, schneider is wants to that, fuck Leah
2: it is implied that she has fucked him
0: yeah <laughs> and yeah, I'd, I'd rather he rocks- see
2: her fuck the duck
1: yeah rob schneider is for sure a trump voter uh i don't i think howard the duck probably skipped that election so you know edge howard the duck
2: yeah, or maybe like he'd maybe third party. I don't know. He showed up to vote on Wednesday. <laughs> he just forgot what day it was. Um, the only <laughs> Too thing busy I fucking I Thompson. Thompson. he doesn't have time for calendars. Uh, well, I wanted to mention like the direction in this movie because like we kind of talked about with uh, Penelope Sears, is like she just came off of Wayne's World, which had like a lot of really great directing choices and camera movements and stuff like that. Uh, stuff like you know Garth getting knocked down by the camera, or, like following Ed O'Neill in the diner and, and having to go back to Wayne. And I know a lot of that probably was in the writing and the script, but everything is so boring. Like I think the most the camera really moves here is like in that kind of lame dance sequence with Varney and thompson when they're dancing to hank williams um but something that really struck me as odd is that there are a few scenes in this movie where it's kind of played and has sound effects as if it's like a sped up like benny hill style thing but if you're actually looking at the film it doesn't seem like it's actually sped up it's just played that way
1: i like the motorcycle
2: Like the motorcycle scene in that, it sounds like, yeah, like a sped up Benny Hill kind of comedy scene. But if you're actually watching, they all seem to be moving at just their actual speed and it's played as a sped up thing. The film itself doesn't seem to actually be sped up in those moments.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's like a distinct lack of any visual flair in this fucking thing. Like it is, it is a nineties comedy that is extremely overlit um the camera is always placed at sort of a medium distance there's kind of, there's kind of like no close ups there's no tracking shots there's nothing to like lend a sense of grandeur to what this this massive castle is like there's tracking shots in fucking Billy Madison I remember there's a specific tracking shot of them showing the devastation uh at the pool where they're like, this oh, is yeah. like Norm Macdonald and Billy and uh, whatever, the other third guy. Third guy, yeah. Yeah, the guy who's not already laying. Um, uh, th- there's like showing the devastation of those guys just getting loaded every night. Like, that is funny to me, like, because of the tracking shot. Like, seeing a bunch of beer cans isn't funny. But the, the idea that they put this work into just showing you this like beautiful, yeah. crystalline, silky pool and like beer cans and a rubber ducky and like porno mags like all that shit just strewn around like that makes the joke oh yeah well, and they're in this huge
2: mansion no tracking shots no nothing showing the size of the mansion or like them acclimating to it them being in awe of of it yeah it's all just flatly shot in like small little confined rooms within the mansion and stuff it's bonkers
1: man so they're like uh, okay let me before we go to final thoughts i'm gonna highlight three things i liked in the movie um one um i told you I where leaves. the cops shoot in tear gas and then ellie may uh thinks <sighs> they're like bug
2: bombing her or something and she just kicks oh, no the gas <laughs> no, the no she thinks they're playing kick the can
0: yeah you hold know, on like you like that part i have that in my note as like yeah, that was awful. That was fucking, that's so terrible. Like, the idea that, like, oh, look at these country bumpkins outsmarting a fucking SWAT team because uh, Ellie Mae has played the game Kick the Can before.
1: No, I, I love that. I, I love seeing cops scatter from tear gas. Well, that part
0: I like, but I mean, that's a, that part I like.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I was watching this as a Penelope Spheres movie, and I and I saw that scene, and I was like, "Oh hell yeah!" Penelope Spheres wanted to have a scene where cops get scared, and then the movie just never does anything like that again.
2: Um, yeah. Well, what's so, sad so, yeah. is that I think I think the Little Rascals movie is, is definitely better than this. I Way have better. Actually, of it,
0: I weirdly watched that recently, um, and I. But again, that was a movie that came out in '94. Right? I, I was 11 years old. I, I saw it. Uh, in theaters, I saw it a couple times in rentals. It was one of those things where, like, you just ended up seeing because someone owned it and you watched it. And uh, sh- my wife but That actually Shana, seemed
2: cute and wholesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, my my, my wife, Shauna has uh, really fond memories in the movie and showed it to Maya. And I sat down and watched it and I'm like, this is, like, this is a good kids movie. Like, it's not a it good a kid. movie, but it's, like, it has enough like, for, like, a I think a six-year-old or a five-year-old or whenever my daughter watched it, it was, like, Yeah, this is, this is exactly, it's not Inside Out, it's not like a, or a a general movie that's like, as good for adults as it is for kids, but. But it's an inoffensive kids movie. Yeah, perfect kid entertainment. This, like, I don't know what fucking kid would like this movie yeah yeah
2: i i haven't seen you want to hear version. how you want to see how dumb southern people are and you want to see rob snyder trying to fuck watch yeah. the beverly Hills. so
0: horny but but she keeps threatening to give it to fucking ernest dude ernest fucks like ernest would
2: please her rob <laughs> Schneider, not so much it, like she would be lucky <laughs> to fuck ernest yeah marcus yeah are you okay
1: yeah i'm pretty i'm yeah i I, that, that whole that whole sequence like bothered me greatly however however there is something uh there is something like weirdly charming about uh seeing leah thompson have fun i just wish that she wasn't having fun with rob schneider like what a fucking waste of leah thompson's years well
0: and this yeah and then like she she goes on from this basically to give up movies and do caroline in the city which was a successful sitcom for a few years like th- yeah she she got fucking she got fucking mortgage to pay like good yeah for her. well good and i, I never watched caroline in the city just because like it just wasn't on my radar at that age and like but I mean it ran for Nobody a few talks about it, so I'm sure it's not that great. And it wasn't, yeah, I yeah. knew
2: I knew of it, but I, I probably didn't see more than a couple of episodes.
1: But even yeah, like, even like okay comedies, uh sitcoms, sitcoms, uh get like a get like a little bump now because so much of the shit
0: is on Hulu and whatever. I am sure that she is very charming and likable Like a hundred percent sure. And definitely a better use of yeah. her time than like and I'll say her
2: and Varney one. actually have like a bit of chemistry here. Like they actually play off each other decently, even though the writing is terrible and there aren't any good jokes.
1: And they're both doing an accent. Like this is not Jim Varney's speaking voice. They're both doing like a little little character. Um and like her doing a little French voice is like kinda funny, but it this movie really in every way suffers in comparison to Adam's Family Values. Um, with Joan Cusack posing as like a perfect little white like well first i mommy, mean, and then perfect little wifey and then like her seducing uh fester is like a whole very very funny sequence and this is just taken as a given yeah. and then when she gets wiped out uh J- J- jed is just like well i never really wanted to marry her anyways and you're like what is this movie why did you put a plot in there? But yeah, there's
2: no feelings. There's no reason for them to like each other. Like, they literally just had a dancing to uh, a song he likes. And, and that's it. And it's just the thing about his daughter. But I, I really just the main thing with this movie is I wish they would have made Jed a character and given him some kind of quirk or something to where he could also be funny. So Jim Varney could have been funny in this movie instead of just having to be the straight man in this, instead of just having to try to keep it grounded with all the other crazy fucking characters in this movie. And
1: and the straight men get jokes like fucking look at any sixties comedy troupe. Like look at Jerry and Lewis, look at fucking Jack lemon and Walter Matthau. Like look at any of these fucking comedy troops from back then. Like, they they there was this, whoever was playing the straight man still got jokes it's just their jokes were more yeah. like deadpan like one of them got to be nuts and then one of them got to like poke at the nutsness and like
2: but he didn't it's, it's, get to do that he literally he get like just get, he gets to do a couple shit. of like slight reactions to the the weirdness around him Why if, did you, if you told any me 60
1: year old Hal Holbrook could have done this like fucking any 60 <laughs> year old who can do a,
2: well like, I think well, again, it's, it's yeah, IMDB I
1: uh, think you better like yeah. I could have done this shit in a fucking old man wig like well cares?
2: I think it's just IMDB trivia but I think like before that they had thought about doing like Sam Elliott and like yeah that would have worked perfectly fine but they were like oh no but we just on jim varney because he has that comedic background that we didn't fucking use
0: (laughs) he really like the blocking on this like it seems like they're like always stand perfectly still never like if you had told me that somehow like he had just suffered a temporary accident where he lost the ability to move his arms i'd be like yo that tracks because he never moves his arms in this movie Uh, Yeah, It's it's bizarre. And I wonder if maybe part of that could
2: have been... Well, that's the thing. I wonder if part of this, because again, one of the reasons they maybe didn't want to use him in the beginning, because he was so associated with Ernest. So do you think he maybe just tried to do a complete... Like, turn around from Ernest, like, so I'm not going to be outlandish, I'm not going to be too funny, I'm not going to be very, you know, sporadic and moving and stuff, I'm just really going to try to hit on these, like, little emotional beats where, like, I like my daughter or whatever, or, like, I want to get married, like, maybe he was focusing on that and not wanting to be too crazy or funny, because... People might just think, "Oh, that's earnest."
0: I don't know if like him deciding not to be funny is a one eighty from being earnest. I would call it a three sixty. But I agree generally with your premise. Yeah,
1: Uh, let me hit two things that I like in the movie, and then we can I can wrap this up. Still Um, more
0: things you like. Uh, I named one of them.
2: I, I was really stretching. <laughs>
1: uh, I like when they're eating on the pool table uh, and you don't re- because they use close ups. You don't realize they're eating on a pool table for, oh, until like, they're putting
2: the the bones into like the, the pockets and stuff that's, like that.
1: That's kind of funny because they're just like, it's a table. Like, of course, kind we're going to eat of. on it. That's that's kind of funny. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Um, and I and it's funny seeing Dabney Coleman, like, look at this expensive pool table and be like, sure, I guess I'll eat chicken wings on the table. <laughs> like it, the actors sell the, the joke and they get the ridiculousnesses of it. But the only thing that I think is like actually like an unqualified win is the Dolly Parton cameo.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: It's so charming. Yeah. It's 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 right in the mo- point in the movie where you uh, have completely given up on life uh-huh. and uh, you're ready to turn the movie off uh for about forty five minutes at that point. And um you're like, Oh, Dolly showed up to give me a spruce of life. Uh, yeah, and you know, in nice. a year in a, in a year where you know, or at a time where we're all suddenly you know uh, starting to get access to to COVID vaccines, um, Dolly Parton played a role in 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 that. Um, it's just nice to see Dolly step in the middle of a horrifying uh, stretch of, of uh, inhumanity and you know lend a lend a bit of hope to us. So, I do think um, it's thank a, you, Dolly.
0: It's literally a crime they didn't get any screen time with her and Lily Tomlin though.
2: <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, but at least we got a little bit of Lily Tomlin and Cloris Leachman, like I think yeah. they worked well together. And just Lily Tomlin in general, I, I like pretty much everything she did in this movie. Yeah, It's a great. shit movie, shit writing, she's, but like, she, is having... she was enjoyable. Yeah, she's having fun. She was enjoyable to watch. She actually made me laugh the few laughs I had in this movie were directly from her performance.
0: The, well, yeah. and actually, I I would say, at least for me, part of the laughs that she gave me was that she was, like, committing to this stupid <laughs> yeah. fucking role and the writing, and she's like, I'm gonna have some fun, and that, that was enjoyable to me. I have two things that are also gonna serve as my final thoughts, and then Again, you guys can say whatever you want. One, my memories of this movie were were minimal. I remembered I didn't like it, and I was 10, and I was primed to like a movie that was a movie, and I didn't like (laughs) this one. And that's my only memory of it. So, I mean, I had a couple, like, some things that, like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this part from when I saw it, you know, fucking 28 years ago or whatever. Um, But I was immediately annoyed with this movie beyond the opening scene. There's a part one of the, the the visual gags of this movie is that like they literally strap everything to this fucking old jalopy and they drive the car and like they you know in the and this is true of the the pilot too in the imagery and stuff like that you know Cloris leachman they just literally strap to her chair at the top of the car but in this movie as they drive to beverly hills they immediately fucking hit a like they go <laughs> in a low underpass and her fucking weird face joke. slams into a tree going like 40 miles an hour and she flips off and like if this was and they keep driving and they keep driving and like if this was a modicum of realism uh sh- her head would have been lopped off sh- her neck would have been broken just the most horrific stuff and like so you're like, oh, are they doing like a Hot Shots? Are they doing a Naked Gun? Are they doing like the Rules of Physics? And, and we're gonna go, we're gonna go big, goofy parody. Nothing applies.
2: No, just one or two moments of that. The entire just
0: movie. one or two moments, and it's like you can't kill your main.
2: Like, there's basically there's that, and then the electroshock thing later with Cloris yeah. Leachman where she has the electricity coming up. Like that's But even it.
0: that is like she could survive that. Like you can't like. You can't go that big with like uh you know <laughs> the law the the rules of our universe don't apply in this goofy wacky comedy and then like never do that again basically and never reference it and then that's not what your movies about like I fucking hate that I like either make it a big thing where like people accidentally get shot by a shotgun and go ooh owie you got me you know jed or something like that and like make it a part of it or don't but uh, like this idea of like we're just so desperate for jokes what if we like horrifically break the neck of the most likable person in the cast in the first 10 minutes and like i don't know that can fill potentially a laugh uh so i hated that and then also i'll just note even though this movie came out two years later the entire villain plot and the unmasking is the exact same thing that happens in tommy boy oh yeah that's another yeah yeah, it's the most
1: cliched it's the most cliched ever but tommy boy is actually really funny yeah yeah
2: um, so that's all
0: i got yeah my final See, thought really Spheris
2: did not direct tommy boy she did black sheep she
0: did that's black sheep difference. which is very weird
2: yeah. um
1: i haven't seen i haven't seen black sheep in like 15 years is it good no tommy boy is though
2: i
0: mean yeah tommy boy is good
1: yeah tommy I, boy i loved it i watched that a lot uh as a kid so tommy boy still has
0: the problem that ultimately would be more interesting without villains
2: yeah
1: yeah though though rob low is you know good in it um anyways um my final thought is uh you know uh, the reason adam's family uh the adam's Family films and the brady bunch films work is that they nail the satiric tone to like kick off everything and they make you accept it as just this wild zany comedy about you know in this wacky world where anything can happen uh and then they kind of build sentiment from there like they build they build you caring about characters from there so you're you're pulled in um as just like a silly comedy and around the time when you're like you know jokes are jokes but like i need to care about these characters they start building in in sentiment there and while it's you know not as good as like you know young frankenstein is at that that kind of uh you know balancing act um it is it is like you know they're 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 very impressive in their own right for for doing that uh this movie uh comes in and tries to do extremely low stakes satire um extremely low stakes parody it never sets a baseline and it never makes you care about the characters so why do you give a shit
2: and you don't give a shit
1: you get 20 minutes into this movie and the movie never gives you a reason to care until dolly parton shows up so fuck this fucking movie
2: yeah strong words pete
1: yeah you guys can
0: save me in the future if you guys want to well you know look i'll say this about this movie that at least for most of this episode, my hate for this movie was so strong that I forgot how much I hate Marcus. So, I, I think, and we were able to commiserate on a couple of things. Yeah, so, it,
2: it was nice. It was a. <laughs> that's what we need to do from now on. We'll just watch movies that are so fucking terrible. That we're so terrible that we'll terrible just forget, that like, forget our, the hate for each other and just just love each other for how much we hate.
0: Yeah, one thing I, I, you know, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and yeah. with, the Beverly Hillbill- with the Beverly Hillbillies, we found that the enemy uh, of our enemy is the Beverly Hillbillies, I guess. Yes. Yeah. However, uh, of the course, you're still a terrible Billy
2: person, Billy. Uh, and J- Jim Varney is amazing, uh, and you're so wrong about that because you're heartless and you have no soul, and you like to see uh, chumps get killed in, in life because you hated
0: a movie when you were a child. Um. I would I wouldn't yeah, call, I I wouldn't yeah, call Jim Varney a chimp that got killed. I think he was a man, and I think that's incredibly disrespectful to say, but just not a man I found entertaining as a movie star. It's a good comeback. Uh <laughs> Come so,
1: back. uh Aaron, what do we got left this month?
0: Uh a good one, actually. <laughs> Two good ones. Uh actually the ones that I I love the Anne's family movies, but like I fucking love the Brady these Brady Bunch movies. I um I I I think because I was such a big fan of the Brady Bunch as a television show. Uh in this movie when I when I and I had seen most of the episodes when this movie came out in I think ninety-five, um, like I this is this is up there in like the how can something be this funny moment for me. Um and it's a they're, they still function as like comfort movies that I watch, uh, you know, once every couple of years just because I love them so much. So I haven't seen them in a few years. I am so excited to revisit it. And also, we are, uh, we actually have a new guest, uh, that we, I laugh because we just, part of this quarantine thing is like, we've just kind of made, we have such a great roster of guests. And then Marcus, that, excluding uh, we, me, yeah. We, um, we, we just have, like, oh, hey, if we do X amount of episodes with guests per year, and we've had, like, 50, 60, 70 people be on this show, we really, like, just love talking to them and want, want to have back. But uh, when we were talking to Brandon Lede of the Swamp Fl- Flicks podcast about... Now there's uh, a good guy. Great guy. Great Southern boy. Uh, that about about uh, the roster that we're doing and, if you know, some guesting options... And uh, Brandon Lede recommended, like, hey, I see you guys are doing the Brady Bunch movies. Uh, Brittany Lombus, one of uh, our hosts of Swamp Flicks, fucking loves those movies. We should continue to merge the Swamp Flicks. We love to watch universes more. And you should have her on. So we reached out to Brittany and she's – because both of us listen to that podcast. uh, And she's great. And so she'll be joining us. And we're so excited uh to to do that uh continue the merging of uh the two dissolve based facebook podcasts <laughs> that started around the same time and, and eventually became friends with each other that's, that's the story of why uh you should be nice to people except marcus oh i was using that like advice that i hope that you would learn marcus <laughs> about how to be never mind you'll you'll some somehow get it probably on your deathbed when the angel comes and you know tells you all your sins
2: uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> no the la- the last aaron- words
2: i speak on my deathbed will be fuck aaron armstrong
1: <laughs> yeah uh then the, a- the angel will be like that's your version of heaven all right <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that'll uh, be it's fun. just it's just you and jim varney <laughs> holding hands and running a field together i imagine that sounds great that would be fucking delightful <laughs> oh uh, my god fun. sorry you're gonna make us cry one man's heaven is another person's hell uh marcus do you have anything to promote uh not being on this fucking podcast again <laughs> <laughs> hey that's something that i will join you in promotion of um but finally, anyways, yeah we're finally doing, we agree <laughs> Next week it's the story of a of a lovely co-host and a guest host. Fuck, what's the theme song of this? How does this go again? Here's a story, story of
1: a lovely
0: lady. Her name is Brittany God damn it. I don't remember so the podcast. next line. Here's the story <laughs> of a lovely lady. <laughs> Good night. Good. for listening to We Love to Watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>